everybody, and welcome back to the Broadway Jets podcast. You'll know me from Twitter as NYJ Mike, and I'm joined as always by the master of receipts. It's NYJ Matt. Mike, how we doing, bro? We are feeling good. We're good. We're, We're doing feeling well. really good. I'm kind of pissed my microphone. I ordered a new microphone. It wasn't working. It's all good. Hey, the good news is that we are in the dog days of summer. We're going to get to a point very soon where, where training camp is right around the corner. But for now, we have mandatory mini camp. And before we get into that, I do want to take a moment and thank anyone who is listening right now. Mike and I are having a ton of fun on Twitter. We're putting out some funny tweets, but we like engaging. So if you ever want, you can always DM us. They're always open. If we're not following you, just let us know. We'll follow you right back. We want to support anybody who supports our show here. But to get into it, the biggest news of the week was Jameson Crowder is back at camp. He took the pay cut around 50%. The number hasn't come out yet. I know I'm very excited. Uh, we'll get into it a little bit. I want to hear your initial take on, on the Crowder pay cut. Yeah, it was good stuff. And we were saying all along what we wanted was we wanted Crowder back. And we understood that the Jets had leverage in the situation, but we hoped that the Jets wouldn't, quote unquote, overdo it. And instead of reaching a compromise with Crowder, instead trade him for like a fifth round pick and save all the money instead of half the money. So what what ended up happening is what we wanted. And Crowder is back. You can't have enough of these guys. You saw last year. The Jets were three or four deep at receiver. Everyone got hurt, and then we're playing, you know, week two, week three with our fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh string receivers, and it was a disaster. So good for the Jets. Crowder's back, and the offense is, you know, locked and loaded. Yeah, you have to give Crowder a ton of credit for sticking through the gates here. He's one of the, the few guys who was able – probably one of the only guys who really excelled during the time in 2019 and in 2020. And the cool thing about Crowder – He's a veteran. He's a, a leader. He's not going to give you a headline, at least for the Jets. He hasn't done so. Just a good guy for the locker room. And I think there's a weird narrative that happened in the, in the week and a half where people thought he was going to get cut and he didn't show up to camp. They're working on the contract. The narrative on Jets Twitter quickly became, oh, it's time to stop pretending like Jamison Crowder is an above average to very good slot receiver. No, that is true, right? We don't have to... Re- revisionist history every single thing when it comes to okay the new take is Crowder is now you know expendable you can get rid of him no Crowder was a veteran for this team who played well in the worst years ever it is a business so you can't ask him for a pay cut but at the same time I get why Crowder could have easily been like go fuck yourself cut me I'll go to another team so it worked out for everyone just don't go with the flow of Twitter of oh now we can just cut Crowder he's not even that good we have Braxton Barrios who can fill in that is not the case it's a good take because Braxton Berrios is a backup type player and he's solid to have. And it's nice to, he's a punt returner. He's a tough guy. If he's our sixth receiver, that's fine. But Jamison Crowder is a legitimate, what some have called Michael Nania called him an elite slot receiver. And there were a lot of articles that came out last year about, you know, how terrific this guy was. And, you know, the first couple of games last series, he has a hundred yards in his first three games and he had 830 yards in 2019. And all he's done is produce. He's been, he's been more than solid. And by most available metrics, he has been in way above average slot receiver. So he'll be sticking with the Jets. And that is a good thing for the Jets. And there's not, you know, like you said, there's so much revisionist history with these kind of things where, you know, once the team, it looks like they're going to do something, 
the narrative changes, but the narrative shouldn't change based on what, you know, the Jets may or may not do. Yeah. I mean, have your take and stand by it. Don't be afraid to go against the grain. If you're a fan of Crowder, be a fan of Crowder. I want a Crowder to become a captain last year, but the way he performed in 2019 with all the shit going on, you know, he got hurt a little bit last year. And, and to Mike's point, the depth of having a guy like Crowder, he's not a okay, he's an above average to really great slot receiver. You add that to a group who's already getting pretty deep with the additions of Keon Cole and Elijah Moore. Denzel Mims now being happy. You bring Corey Davis. Now you have a group where you're like, holy shit, it might not be top five. It might not be top 10. But depth-wise, if someone goes down, if you take out the number two receiver of every NFL team right now, the Jets will be okay. Other yep. teams will not be okay. So I'm very happy with that. We had this conversation last year off-air because we didn't have a podcast that oh my god what if one of the three guys goes down yeah and we were like what the fuck is jets gonna do not only did one guy go down they all went down all of them went down (laughs) yeah mims crowder and uh uh what's his face who am i forgetting Uh, and and perryman those are number three guys and they all were dead and they and then it was and then vincent smith got hurt and jeff smith got hurt and you're like what the hell but this time even if the top three guys go down it's not like that it's horrifying you don't want to lose your top three guys at any position but you know then you have at least some depth you don't have a moment like the bears game in 2018 right you don't have a moment like the colts game in 2020 where you literally are feeling non-professional athletes i think that ties pretty well into the next topic of denzel mims rocking with the twos in training camp uh or i'm sorry in mandatory minicamp keelan cole with the starters elijah moore with the starters uh they had vincent smith go out there for a handful of snaps. I think there's a little bit of an overreaction, but to the people that we know, and we're, we don't know anyone inside the Jets organization, but for the beat writers we're friendly with, they do think something's up, right? There's a reason why Mims isn't with the ones, and it, it could be, you know, you're banged up, you were injured, now prove your spot. Prove that you're a number one, number two guy to be out there. Vincent Smith's been playing. Keelan Cole's been playing great. Nothing is earned or nothing is given to you because you were a second round pick. And I think Mims is going to play into that starting spot, but right now he is rocking with Mike White, James Morgan on the practice field. You want to see him build that chemistry with Zach Wilson. So I would prefer him to be out there with the ones, but Mike, what do you think about Mims wrong with the twos to start? It's a little bit strange to see like Connor Hughes tweeted it today. And we were talking about it with Robbie Sabo, who's, terrific follow on Twitter, but Robbie was also tweeting out some stuff where uh, quote unquote, Wilson to Mims red zone one-on-one with corner back shoulder, flat type for score timing was right. So, so at least Mims and Zach Wilson are getting those reps together, but but I, I think mean, that like, might have been the only one of Wilson Mims today. It was on seven on seven, I believe. So it's like that you want to your point, you want to see that happen more and more and not just a one-off in a mandatory minicamp. A hundred percent. And look, Mims is the guy that last year we were like, whoa, this guy is going to be awesome. And, and the Jets offense was obviously not moving the ball a lot last year, but Mims was still on like a six, 700 yard pace in that horrifying offense uh, where the Jets just couldn't throw the ball. And he made some just unbelievable catches like the catching us, the chargers uh, from Flacco where, uh, you know, on the right sideline vertical, uh, they just threw a timing pattern back shoulder. It looked like the ball's going to be 10 yards out of bounds and Mims comes down with it. Toe taps and uh, beautiful. Maybe he's just not so polished yet because that was one of the knocks in him coming out of college. But if it's between Keelan Cole and Denzel Mims, I'd rather the Jets just throw every rep at Denzel Mims. 
because that's not what they're doing with the cornerback position or other positions where they're saying, hey, look, let's get all these young guys reps. They have to get every guy reps except for Denzel Mims. The only difference is that Keelan Cole is on the Jets. So it's not like they had to bring him in, you know, right. now to take those reps. But And, and Keelan Cole's a younger guy. He's still like 27, 28. But I want to see Mims out there. Yeah, and I think – uh, to a lot of points on Twitter, you don't want to overreact to a depth chart in minicamp, but it does mean something, right? It's not nothing. So we'll we'll evaluate that as we go through. Maybe tomorrow he'll be he'll be out with the ones. I know Thursday is a film study day. We won't we only have one more practice until we have training camp, so we have some time. Also, want to touch on the Nick Mullins signing. So right, Nick Mullins not going to be a New York Jet. And Robert Salah, I think, played his hand during his press conference today. And I, I do appreciate that he's very candid in his responses. He's not afraid to tell you what he's thinking. And he said, look, we need to find out what we have in Mike White and James Morgan. We want to get them reps. We want to see what they do in the field, if they are legit back of quarterbacks. He goes, if crap hits the fan, quote unquote, then you would want a veteran in there to get real NFL playing time. So I don't agree with it personally because he goes, you got to bring in a veteran and they're brand new to the system. They might not immediately be a veteran. And I get that. I get building white and Morgan reps understood, understood. That's fine. But if Zach Wilson gets hurt, we've said it millions of times on this podcast, you need a veteran to go in there. And how about you bring in a veteran in June to learn that playbook, to learn that offense in the event that does happen. So I don't agree with it, but it doesn't sound like they've really had any interest in Nick Mullins moving forward. So it's going to be a tough summer if we have to keep thinking to ourselves, one hit on Zach Wilson might lead to a four or five game losing streak. Luke Falk, number two. I, we can't do it again. Uh, and, and the Jets, to their credit, have addressed the back of quarterback spot in the last few years. It just hasn't worked out. So Flacco last year, but last year is just a wash. Is stupidity of a I want to erase it from my mind the year before Trevor Simeon very fine he went nine and seven with the Broncos when he went through for 3,600 yards he's a solid guy good completion percentage broke his leg on the second play what are you going to do the year before you have Josh McCown and Josh McCown was very solid in 20 uh 2017 and then in 2018 just you know couldn't get the jobs done lost a couple games before you know it you look up and the Jets are 0-10 in their last 10 games without uh, with a backup quarterback there have been many examples of teams that have used a backup quarterback in important situations over the last few years. Of course, Nick Foles is the obvious one. Look at a team like the Chiefs uh, the other year with Matt Moore came in and won a couple games. He even came in in the playoffs last year and beat the Browns last year. So yeah. these situations are not a joke. And it's the most important position on the team. And the Jets obviously spent their most valuable asset, the number two pick, on quarterback. And then you're ignoring the rest of the position and it's a little bit frustrating. Yeah. I think it's a moment of, we, we don't want to go out there and get rid of a, a guy who we took in the fourth round a year ago. So I think another huge factor and you brought it up as well. If you don't have that backup to come in in a game where you're down a Matt Moore, it, it takes everything away from your team. It doesn't just hurt the quarterback. It hurts your offensive line. It hurts your running back, it hurts your wide receivers. Who you're trying to develop. You'd have a, a garbage offense for multiple weeks. It's terrifying. And, and they seem very comfortable with it. We disagree, but I don't want to come back in week four and be pissed about this. Right. right. It can't happen. I can't watch anything like Luke Falk again. That was so disturbing to watch. It was like, 
I don't even, it's not even any analogy. It was like watching the first time anyone ever stepped on a football field and we just get destroyed. It was, and those are early in the, those games are early in the year. Darnell had mine on week two, you know? So we had to watch week two, three, four, five. You have no chance to win. And then the season's over. Yeah. Can't have that again. Can't happen again, but Hey, they have time. They can bring someone in all good. Uh, Moving forward, Zach Wilson today started off quarterback for nine for 10. Zach Wilson looked sharp. Had a, a ball got into traffic, get picked off, and then a ball where Vincent Smith fell down, popped up. Jason Pinnock picked it off. Seems like an up-and-down day for Zach Wilson, which is fine. We know those are going to happen. He lit it up in the final OTA practice. Uh, anything else on, on minicamp? I know we covered a lot here, but Zach no. Wilson, up-and-down day. Look, the Jets are going to be young, and they're going to be exciting, and they seem to have a good camaraderie and like media day was cool. Quinnen's taking pictures and Mackay's on the floor laughing and, and retweeting you. And Oh, that was just, that, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good. And uh, you know, some of these young guys, Elijah Moore has been having an unbelievable camp. Um, but, but speaking of someone who's not having a good uh, mini camp, what the hell happened to Tua today? Throwing five interceptions. Look, I couldn't believe getting that update from whoever, whatever account someone kept reading. He just kept tweeting another interception, another interception. Another one, another one, another one. And, <laughs> like DJ Khaled. And I think there's context, right? Some were drop balls. They're playing in gale force winds and a hurricane, right? The, I get all of that. But the optics is hilarious, and I love every second of it. Because Tua didn't light the league up, but he wasn't a dog shit quarterback. It was kind of like, what is the ceiling? Is he going to be in the AFC and compete with – Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert. Now you have Trevor Lawrence coming in. It's like, is Tua going to be that guy who's going to be a top five quarterback in his conference? Probably not. And, and I think that's a, a scary time for the Dolphins who have a pretty good young roster and they're trying to build around that they have a question mark at quarterback. So, Mike, I laughed out loud at my desk the entire day for each turnover that Tua had. And and he owned it. He owned it after practice. I didn't play great. We were trying to move the ball downfield in tough weather, but I'm fine with it. I love it. Oh, yeah, and it came on the heels of Cam Newton throwing the ball like an asshole the day before on uh, on Monday. And Cam, I mean, they only I only saw two throws and Barstool tweeted yeah. <laughs> it. But it's just hilarious when, you know, Mac Jones made like – he just lobbed a, like a eight-yard pass in the end zone. Cam's throwing the ball like 15 feet over the guy's head. What the hell is that? Yeah, I know Bill Belichick came out today and said that Cam Newton is light years ahead of where he was last year in their offense. And that, that clip so is great. For 12 touchdowns now this year? Yeah, Mike, Mike clipping it so that C.J. Mosley intercepts whoever passes the ball <laughs> all time. I, I crack up knowing it's coming every time. But the one <laughs> they show a clip of Newton throwing 10 yards over someone's head and then Mac Jones lobbing one. And then that clip, I, I might have saw a dozen times going around. And it's like one throw, right? Everyone makes a throw. So I'm not putting too much stock into it now. But look, I think the Patriots have a chance with people coming back after opting out and they have the best head coach of all time. The Patriots aren't going to be a team, in my opinion, that are going to go 6-11, and 11, right? Every time you play them, got to play them tough. And we have them at the home opener this year, which we'll be in attendance at. Cannot wait for that game. Uh, but yeah, some you, know, you, you mentioned the Dolphins. Xavier Howard opting out after having four years, 70 million left on a contract, uh, like holding out is unbelievable. Like we'll get into Jamal Adams in a little bit. Xavier Howard is being 10 times more of an asshole than Jamal Adams. Yeah. I mean, Jamal is just 
if Jamal didn't hold out, it would almost be stupid at this point because you might as well just continue to be a douchebag and get what you were going for originally before the trade. And, you know, people were like, oh, if Jamal gets traded to a contender, is he going to stop being an asshole? No. No. And everyone (laughs) knew that he wasn't going to stop being an asshole. But Xavier Howard, I don't know what his – end game is because he saw he had that great year in 2018 he had seven interceptions in 12 games and led the league in picks and then signed a big contract and then this year he has 10 picks all pro but what is he what is he want like three million dollars more a year like what possibly i don't understand it's crazy and it, it's the type of person in the locker room that the other 52 players are going to roll their eyes and be like, how is this guy? Like, you just got paid, bro. You got to, you cannot ask for a new contract. And we're self-aware. Revis asked for a new contract with three years left on his deal. He's the best to ever do it. So it's not crazy, but four years, you signed it last year. It's an unbelievable move by Xavier Howard. And I don't get it. Right. Like I get guys like, like I, uh, you understand in theory. And the reason we hate Jamal now is not because he asked for a new contract. It's the way that he did it. So we understand Jamal was on his rookie deal and is looking and football's a vicious sport. And he's looking to cash in on that once in a lifetime opportunity to get that crazy contract. Xavier Howard already did that. So what the fuck? <laughs> it's so it's hilarious. I, I don't, I don't understand. Um, but speaking of Jamal, well, Who thought, you know, it came out that he missed it for personal reasons. And I think that's a little Seattle PR of saying we're getting closer to a contract. We don't want to find it. We want to keep things good because you do get fined. I think it's 75 K if you miss mandatory minicamp each day. So I think the, the, they came out and said, we don't care about the money. He had to miss for personal reasons. So whatever. But it's just the fact that this date was going to happen for Seattle. Like they knew when they traded for Jamal Adams that in a year he wants a new contract. And he played great, right? He didn't pa- He didn't have any picks. He had like two passes defended, nine and a half sacks. I get why he deserves a new contract. If you're trying to blow the doors off the safety market, not great to do when you're paying Russell Wilson top five quarterback money and a guy that's not getting you interceptions and had an eh year graded out in pass coverage. So I, Jamal Adams, I, I try to make some jokes here and there. I, I just think he's he made a bad business move from bad advice by bad people. Cause I don't think in Jamal Adams heart, he's like the worst guy ever, but he, he had three years with the jets where he was really just a good player for the most part said the right things. And I think he got bad advice because if he just stuck it out and played last year, he would have gotten a new contract. He got a brand new head coach who probably would have been here anyway. I'm not saying Jamal Adams is going to add three wins to the jets. So he would have had Robert Slaw. He would have had Joe Douglas again a new young quarterback, he would have been a part of a rebuild, which isn't great. I get that, but you get paid. You're staying at home. You got the fans that love you. And he had bad advice from bad people and did the wrong thing. In my opinion, go to Seattle and lose a home playoff game to the Rams. Have fun with it. I hope they go. zero and 17 this year. And we get the number one overall pick. And now Seattle's on the path where it looks like they're going to start to decline. Similar to what the Eagles did. The Eagles went all out. Uh, they spent, as much possible money, they front-loaded everything. And then at a certain point, once – and Carson Wentz didn't work out, and then you're dead. And now once – how many more times is Russell Wilson going to be able to do this with a more bloated salary, with a less talented roster around him, with a defense that's getting old? You know, Bobby Wagner's another year older. There's no more Richard Sherman and those guys over there. 
I mean, it's a dangerous situation for the Seahawks, and it's a very good situation for the Jets. And things turned out about as predictably as you could possibly have thought. Jamal Adams didn't place a well in pass coverage. He had a million sacks, like you said. He is asking for a new contract a million times. You know, it's and soon he'll start tweeting about Texas again. Fair point. Very fair point. I thought of a hypothetical for you. Hit me. Would you have Mackay Becton opt out if it meant that Russell Wilson would also opt out? It's a vicious question. Because obviously you lose year two of development with your franchise left tackle. He misses one year. He doesn't get hurt. He opts out. If that happens, Russell Wilson opts out and Geno Smith becomes the quarterback of a team that you have the number one overall pick for in the NFC West. Here's my thought process. I'm thinking about a lot of things right now. Number one, the Jets have – whatever chance the Jets have to win the Super Bowl this year, even if it's 0.02%, Mekhi Becton has to play and be an all-pro. So that's, that hurts me. I'm very optimistic. I think the Jets, any team, any year, who knows. Number two, can we replace Mekhi Becton? Maybe we go out and sign Morgan Moses. Maybe a fan of the left tackle. Or you fan of the left tackle? Yeah. You have a decent offensive line. You don't kill Zach Wilson's development because you don't want Wilson to get crushed either. And remember, we don't have a backup quarterback. Number two, or three, number three, the Seahawks, could they replace Russell Wilson? Like, what if they go get Aaron Rodgers? Like, that would be that would be terrifying. Then then we just Mackay Beckton opts out for no reason. But I think the answer is yes, which is insane. But the Jets would have a really good chance. What would the Seahawks over under be with Geno Smith as the quarterback? Five and a half, six. I I truly believe that. You think? I think it'd be less. How I mean, he would the, be by far the the worst quarterback in football. I get it. Like on paper. The, the Broncos have like an eight and a half over under, right? Over unders are weird with the 17th game this year. I think the Seattle has enough talent around it that they can muster together a handful of wins, but you're right. It could be lower. Yeah. Yeah. Pete Carroll's your head coach, but I, I thought of that on the fly. Random question. That's pretty good. At you. Not a bad hypothetical. I don't want to tweet it out. Cause I don't want Makai to look at it and be like, what the fuck, bro? I just retweeted you. Now you're talking about me opting out, but it's a hypothetical <laughs> worst case scenario. You and uh, Makai are close. Uh, other than that, I think, I mean, last topic we can touch on here that we have is looking forward to the the, the NFL season. What's your go-to game? If you could pick one game that you have to go to, what would be your game? I think this year it has to be opening home opener. Mm -hmm. Like I am just – I don't think I've ever been this excited to go to a Jets game uh, this far in advance. When you look at – but the, the only thing I I wish I half wish that this game was week one, the home opener, because if the Jets lose week one, it's going to bring that energy down just a little bit. I think it's going to be popping. The stadium's going to be rocking people, especially coming off COVID and people weren't allowed to go to the games last year. But if the Jets win week one, holy shit, it's going to be insane. Yeah. Yeah. I have a weird take. I think that having the home opener after a win, the players will be rocking and crazy. But after a loss, I do think there's a sense of, all right, it's a weird road game against an old quarterback week one. We're going to take it back home. First home game, let's get back on track. I don't think it'd be doom and gloom. Now, if we were 0-2 playing the Patriots, I think it'd be a no. lot worse. And then week three, is it? who do we have week three? Is that? Oh, I forget. The, the, the Titans are what, week four? 
Yeah, I'm looking at the. And then the Falcons are week five. So who's oh the Broncos? Is that week? I three? was gonna say Broncos, but I know we played them week four last year. I don't know if that was yeah, it is the Broncos. So here's my here's my spin zone. If they lose week one, I think we'd still be very hyped for week two. Even if we lose week two, we'd be like, oh, we could beat the fucking Broncos. We lose week three and then we play the Titans 0 3. We're we're going downhill quick. But no, I agree with you. I think the home opener is gonna be great. Mike and I will be tailgating in M three. We'll be coming around to whatever lot all the fans are at and, and we want to make sure we meet everyone because after, a, yeah. after a year like COVID, it's going to be amazing to get back there. I'm going to bring a keg at least. We should really like, we're going to throw a sick tailgate. Well, here's, we can talk through this in the pod and we yeah, probably, yeah. We, look, how are we getting there? Because we usually utilize our very good friend's dad drives up, drives back. <laughs> we can drink whenever we want. And I still think I'm going to try to do that for the home opener. Yeah, I'm fine with driving up and staying sober for a random game in November. I can do that. Doesn't matter. I hate taking the train because if there's a train that went from MetLife to any part of New Jersey, that's fine. But you have to get on the shuttle then to go to that type of train for NJ Transit. It is horrific, and you can't bring a keg on a train. So I'm trying to think. Oh shit! We can't bring a keg on a train. You're right. I mean, first off, a good point. you could probably bring a keg on a train, but to lug that around a parking lot is impossible. It's yeah. heavy. We need a car. We need a vehicle. And then it's going to weigh down your car if you have a full keg of beer, right? So I have a Toyota Camry. I'm down to do that. I just, I, I need to, we well, need it's not to that find, heavy. you know what we need to find? Yeah. We need to find a very, very good Jet fan who wants to go to every game, who is obsessed with driving and hates drinking. Maybe it's like, like a drinking problem and he had to stop. Or, or, or yeah, that could be uh, – uh, we need to find a DD. And I'll, li- I'll tell him, be like, I'm friends with you because I need you to drive me to and from my house, get to the stadium at 9, get home at like 5.30. And, and well, hopefully, be- yeah. Yeah, give us some good time on the way back. Like a guy, maybe a guy who's good at navigating the parking lot because – you got to get out of there quick. Like we kill, can't. we kill the parking lot when we drive in. We park in the orange yeah. lot. We get right out on the highway. We we had the best parking in the entire stadium by far. Maybe uh, for week one, I'm drinking. For other weeks, I'm down to to drive up to not just like drink before the game and be fine in the stadium. Maybe we or, can make our girlfriends drive us. Are they going to come? No. No, I took no. I took my girlfriend to the Pittsburgh game in 2019. Had a good time. I think that's one once in a year thing. You know how your family goes to like one game a year and yeah, out there. I think that'll probably be that move. We'll pick and choose our spots. Yeah, we it, make, I guess we make them come together. That'd be good for them. They like it, to mingle. Yeah, and here's another thing. This is for everyone listening. I don't I don't think it's fun to watch a football game drunk at all. I think it's a, like a not fun experience. I've done it a handful of times. At home, you can do whatever you want. At the game, though, then you get hung over. They stop serving after like midway through the third quarter. You get hung over on the ride home. If you lose 42 to 13, you feel even worse. You want to have a great time from 9 to 12, and then at 12, 15, you mix in a water. I'm a huge, huge mix in the water guy. <laughs> very frowned upon, but when you're at a tailgate, you want to remember the game. You don't want to forget what happens. You want to be at the point where you're not going to get violently hung over, but you almost might do something dumb. Like that's the point you want to be at walking to the stadium, right? You, you might go over the line, cross the line with a joke, 
but you want to be at a spot where you're having fun, but not violently hung over the next day. That's a good take. Uh, it's tough to have that discipline to mix in that water because once the, uh, cause the, the, you know, the counter argument is just keep drinking forever and never stop. And then you won't be hung over. Yeah, but I then tried they that. Stopped, they they stop surfing. I tried that my junior year of college to just second semester just drink, no, drink beginning forever. To, forever. And you're not even with a deck game, just forever. No, yeah, no, like for for my <laughs> for the rest of my entire life. And then when you do that, though, you realize you have to go to class and you have to go, you have to go to bed at some point, which is terrifying because then you wake up and you stop drinking. So you have to set an alarm. This sounds, you know off base here but no i it's not fun to be to watch a football game hungover because you don't want to go I, we've had moments where we drive home we're like why don't we remember that five yard out route to jermaine curse we were yeah i want to know if, i want to yeah. remember it i do i really do there's you, a picture I, of us after week two the home opener in 2018 donald's rookie year where we oh that's an iconic hard. photo i look I, I would probably weigh 15 pounds less in that photo. <laughs> and the, the best is there's, it's in my camera roll. And the picture before that is us smoking cigars after Darnold's first game. And then the next picture is us just like, it looks like we were in the sun for 12 hours and drank 28 beers and the Jets lost 20 to six. So that's, that's an happened. iconic photo. One day we'll share that with everyone. It was, we're all wearing our Darnold jersey. And we have a buddy who's a Panthers fan wearing a red t-shirt and I said, if Sam ever wins a Super Bowl for Carolina, you got to re- recreate that photo with, with him wearing the Carolina blue Darnold jersey and then us in a red T-shirt. <laughs> it's <a> hard <laughs> to flip it around. But, um, dude, oh, I mean, overall, it's hard not to get excited about this team. Hopefully in the next five months before or five weeks prior to training camp, they get that veteran corner, right? They get that backup quarterback that we need. Maybe they go after Morgan Moses, and we're like, holy fuck. If they do those three things, they can win eight to nine games. They really could. I'm at the point where if the Jets sign Morgan Moses and add a veteran corner, I, I'm super high on this roster. I think the Jets could win double-digit games. Why not? Because at this point, I'm very uh, satisfied with – a lot of the position. I'm, wide receivers is fantastic. Defensive line is is legitimately great. Running back is solid. The offensive line, if you get Moses, is solid. The linebackers looks like C.J. Mosley's back, and Gerard Davis is all over the place. And then if you have and the safeties with Marcus May and Joiner, if you and the coaching staff, but if you have another corner, what is the weakness of the Jets now? The real weakness. I don't know. Can't think it's of a, it. I can't think of it. And you have been not critical, but you've been aware of some of the flaws in Joe Douglas's roster building. You're not afraid to call them out. And, and like you said, if they do add that corner, which is in today's NFL, having a lockdown corner or just a veteran corner presence, not having the worst cornerback group of all time goes a long way. A back of quarterback, if your quarterback goes down, yes. maybe, maybe you figure out a kicker, but who knows? If they do that, do you leave this offseason and say from the moment that Darnold was traded, which you didn't agree with, from that day on, has Joe Douglas pleased you in his decision-making of building this roster? Yes, and that's what I was just going to bring up is interesting. I've been thinking a lot about 
what being an optimistic fan is. And I think a lot of times in my life, I have agreed with things that the Jets have done and they haven't worked out. And I will defend the Jets until I die in those situations. So if the Jets, like in 2015, or even let's say, well, 2015, they were good. So let's say 2016, the Jets re-sign Fitz. They re-sign Muhammad Wilkerson. They get Matt Forte. They get Matt Forte. I'm like, I'm like, fuck yes. This is what I want. Let's murder people. And it doesn't work out. I will defend the Jets to my dying breath. I'm not going to flip on the team and say, stupid, oh, this sucks. It's so hard being a Jets fan. Like, bleh. Because all the teams in football are trying to win. There's 30, 30 teams. 32 teams yeah. and uh, he's thinking of baseball and, uh, and it is what it is this year. The Darnold trade is the one is actually the second or the Revis trade. The first one, when they trade a Revis is the one move that I'm like, I can't, I just disagreed with. I understood it. And when things like that happen, it makes me a little bitter in terms of some other moves. So if Joe Douglas does the next three things that we're asking for, I'll be very, very satisfied with his roster construction. Yeah. I'm just looking forward to normal football again. Um, I think we have a head coach who cares. I think we have a head coach who wants to win at all costs. I think he's a competitive dude. He also is a good guy. So you can tell that in every press conference he has, that he's a normal human being. So the fact that we have that is a, is a step up. The Jets could also be three and five, and at least we're we're looking at the positives, right? We're not zero and eight, we're not one and seven. No, we can win games. The problem is, and which terrifies me beyond no comprehension, is that every NFL team looks at our roster and says, "All right, we're going to win that game." Then we have to look at our schedule and say, "Okay, we have to maybe win that game, play them close at home, tough road game." It's not easy. And to, to leave you with one thing, my favorite thing Robert Salah said today was he goes, the Jets lose, and he brought up game by game. He goes, the Jets were, didn't win a game last year, and they lose a heartbreaker to Oakland. And he has to travel all the way to the West Coast and get murdered by Seattle. He's like, at that time, the Jets could have easily went 0-16. Easily. After those two losses getting pounded, you fly back to the East Coast, practice for three days, fly back to L.A., and you beat a playoff team. You go back home, beat another playoff team who was hurt. And he brought up the fact, yeah, the Browns were hurt. But to go through that four-game stretch and do that, it builds character and it builds people that want to win and they're not going to give up. And I think you look at the roster, a ton of people from that team are still here. A lot of young guys on that team are here, undrafted guys, guys like Foley, guys like James Morgan, right? James Morgan didn't even play, but I, I still like the fact that he was on that team. Bless Austin, Bryce Hall, JaVale Guidry. Mikai Becton, you're looking all, all down the roster. I'm like, all right, this team actually got it. I'm, I'm happy with it. They had a bullshit coach before. We're moving on to bigger and better things. Continuity is key. And the Jets, one of the okay things about la- a year like last year is you're playing all these backup guys and as starters, and now they're going to be the backups. And now you have a deep team. And it's good. I love it. I love it. Great year coming ahead looking forward to it mike anything to add we got 45 minute pot in anything to leave the uh the listeners with is robert Sala the most handsome head coach in our team's history off the top uh, of my head maybe yeah and it's like 
Hal Grow is really good looking. Like young, like young Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll's probably like he's was just ninety four. He was still probably like sixty at that time. <laughs> I can only picture old. him. Like he had gray hair still. Um, I know. I, I yeah, good looking dude. Got like eleven oh. kids. Uh, I'm down. I would. Would would not. All right, Mike. I it's would. always a pleasure. Good talking to you, buddy. We'll be back next week and and thanks again for listening. <laughs>